Welcome to Soulcraft Stories. These are conversations with people that are, in spite of the challenges, hurdles, and the mundane, are writing meaningful and fulfilling life stories. Like you and me, they have families, jobs, responsibilities, basically real-life stuff we all deal with, but they aren't waiting for someday, because that day might be too late to get your story started. They have, in their own ways, fought back against the resistance of excuses, society, laziness, and a bunch of other crap that, in the end, when the final chapter is written, is meaningless anyways. They've pursued travel, overcome addictions, learned new skills, and set big goals for themselves. Their stories aren't unique, but they're unique to them. So join me as we learn from each one of them and take their insight, advice, and turn it into permission ourselves to stop procrastinating and start writing our own great life story. How many of you have run three marathons, three half Ironmans, and did a full Ironman, all while you and your wife raise a family and run a business? Well, no excuses, compadre, because our next guest has done that and more. Today, we welcome Michael Corley. He's a good friend and even better individual. He's always got a full plate, but still prioritizes learning and challenging himself. Whether it's leading people in an organization, overcoming fears like open water swimming or learning guitar, we're going to touch on it all and walk away with some of Michael's wonderful insights to how he approaches his life story. So welcome, Michael. Hey, Brian. Appreciate it. Good to be here. As you know, this is a Soulcraft podcast, and it's really about living a life beyond the boundaries of people's comfort level. Too many of us get too damn comfortable. You and I kind of both share the same thing. We live comfortable lives in suburbia that kids go to good schools. We live in good neighborhoods. We live in a great place, Sarasota, Florida, but you've taken it to the next level and you continue to push yourself. And I think that's what people want to hear and learn how to do. You know, one of the questions I ask a lot or two questions, and I'll start with one of them is out of all the things you have, What's the one thing you couldn't get rid of and why? <laughs> uh, that's, uh, <laughs> I couldn't get, you know, I, uh, boy, um, it would be something that is sentimental. Uh, my, my grandfather, I've got his, his flask jigger set when he, when he was a traveling salesman and it's sterling silver. And when he passed, it was handed to my dad and my dad said he didn't care for it and gave it to me. So that's something just for the sentimental value. I've never used it and um, it's still in the leather casing, but you know, just something to tie me back to my, to my grandfather. Well, and part of our stories is who's come before us yes, and what they've meant to us. And, and that's it. But I've got to ask, you said a jigger set? Yeah, it's, um, it's this, so I guess he traveled and I guess he liked his cocktails on the road. And so, um, he would bring this, yeah, it's the sterling silver and I'm holding my hands. Uh, it's about glad 12 ounce size and you, it, it inserts itself. It's got a little shot glass in it or two shot glasses and, uh, it's a shaker and yeah, so I guess he used to use it quite a bit. That's awesome. I know it. I want a jigger set. Hey, I think at some point we're going to be sell limited edition craft jigger sets. There we go. Hey, you, you could corner the market on that. Yeah, right. <laughs> Nobody knows what the hell they are. We need to bring back the jigger set. That's so. right. <laughs> uh, so, all right, that's that's great. 
Now I'm going to flip it around and there's probably lots of shit I know we could all get rid of, but what are some of the like things that you know, like, Hey, I've got this thing. I can get rid of this. I don't really need it. I still have it. So I will tell you, I, I still have the very first legal beer I bought. Uh, I was living in Tennessee and the drinking age up there was 21. I was in college and uh, went with some friends down in New Orleans. Of course, the drinking age down there was 18. So I literally, <laughs> I literally walked into a time saver, bought one beer, got my picture taken with the lady selling it to me. And I still have that beer to this day. <laughs> and, it, and it's pointless. <laughs> Is it but, on a shelf or is it in the fridge or you know, right now it's in the attic right. and on, a, on a shelf in the attic. But I've just every time we've moved, I've kept it with me. Well, since I was 18 years old and that was a long time ago. And so I, I saw it the other day and I thought, why do I still have this stupid thing? But, you know, I keep it. So uh, but I could get rid of that. Uh, that's that's a good one. <laughs> I, I noticed a trend here already. We're already talking. Both things are related to uh, drinking and you know? So. <laughs> For all bad, of, for, yeah, it? right. If anyone is tuning into this podcast and they know Michael and I, if you're offended by a bit of drinking, then you should tune out now because it might continue as a theme. So <laughs> fair warning, folks. With your your business, one of the things that you and I have talked about stuff, you had a bit of a transition and we're kind of kicked to the curb to put it not so mildly at, at one point. You had a very good position running a good organization and the ownership came in and changed walk us through that story and how you dealt with it how you felt about it because that's that really is a thing that i think people fear a lot is there's this false sense of security uh, as you and i know as entrepreneurs but i think a lot of people just have jobs they they have that quote security blanket and you came that security blanket was in essence ripped off of you uh, you obviously dealt with it very well walk us through that how'd you deal with it how'd you feel about it those kind of things yeah it was an interesting time so it was during the recession it was 2009 and i i was president and chief operating officer of a fairly successful company we'd grown it to about 50 million dollars in revenues 47 to be exact and had about 200 some odd employees and the recession hit and uh, our business was heavily focused our clients were in restaurants and construction and in florida uh, those industries really took it on the chin in a very short period of time. So after a you know, number of layoffs and cutbacks that the t- my team and I had to lead the organization through, uh, the majority shareholder, who was a friend at the time, uh, decided he wanted to come back and run the company, which clearly is under his purview to do it. And so it was unfortunate how it transpired. And, and I was out in a matter of about 12 hours. Uh, mm-hmm. It was it was un, unexpected, unforeseen, no heads up. And it was just very surprising. It was tough. It was during the recession. You got a wife who at that time was not working because she was staying home with our youngest and it's all of a sudden you wake up literally one day things are okay. I mean, things were tough because of the recession, but you had a job. And the next day, I mean, you got nothing. And so it was, uh, it was tough. It was a tough transition uh, due to the, you know, how quickly it occurred, you know, occurred. And, you know, from that, Brian, I think you and I talked about this. I, I learned that a lot of my identity was, ident- uh, was tethered to being the president of a successful organization. And so that was stripped away in a short period of time. So um, 
I don't, I, I don't know if I handled it well. It certainly took a long time to get over, but I learned a few things from it. And you know, so quickly, a buddy of mine uh, that I go to church with still, and he's still a dear friend today, said, um, hey, my the company I work for is looking to start a PEO. That was the industry I was in. Would you be willing to help start that? So right away, a friend stepped up and offered me to got me an introduction for my first consulting gig. And so that was about two months after I'd been uh, terminated. And that was a, you know, that helped emotionally uh, me get back up on my feet, my direction and your, you know, your sense of sense of worth. Cause you know, when you lose that job unexpectedly for any reason, you know, it certainly challenges your, your self-worth and it's tough and difficult. And, and yeah. I, I know a number of people, friends have gone through it as well as I have. Yeah, absolutely. The biggest takeaway for you personally, and I think you kind of touched on it right there, is your identity mm-hmm. was kind of lost too. Looking back, how do you feel about your, quote, identity now, having gone through that did it give you time to reflect and say, hey, that was or wasn't as much as my identity as I thought it was? Because we, we all live the proverbial, we get jobs, we become successful. You've had the title president, people have vice president, big organizations, and titles, we believe, mean so much. We think they do. When, as a matter of fact, we give lip service more to dad, husband, friend, etc., but I think we, we spend a lot more time weighing towards the title of what our professional title is. And it's kind of interesting. So how did, how did you feel coming out of there when that title, like you said, was stripped away? Well, I don't regret the focus I had during that time because I was very conscientious of it going through, knowing that that was a primary focus for me. It had been a lifelong dream. Well, since high school to run a company and to be a president. And so I was very blessed to achieve it at a young age and going through it, I knew I was committing an excess number of hours to it, but I did it intentionally. I did it, uh, you know, in conjunction with my wife, very supportive wife. And that's just the avenue I was raised to take. So I, I didn't feel guilty as a rule over it. Certainly you do at times. Now, I was very fortunate to be able to make up, and I hold that in quotes, make up for when I lost my job because now I could spend time with the kids. And I, I, it wasn't a choice it, it, between work and go to baseball practice. When you're leading a company and setting an example, it was more, gosh, I, I don't have an obligation to anybody. I'm going to go to every kid's practice. And so in my mind, it was a, it was a transition. It was an evolution the challenge was still when people asked you, so what do you do for a living? And you couldn't say I'm president of X company, which is great for the ego. It's, well, I'm a consultant doing, doing this. And so that took some time to get over. And, and, and I see that in other people too. That's the, we, we are very tethered to our jobs and the title of our jobs. I don't necessarily think that's a bad thing. I'm not a big you know, life Work-life balance, I think, is important. I don't think it's time-based. I think it's intention-based. And the fact is you go through different phases of life. And when you're in your 30s and 40s, it's, you know, you're, you're climbing. It's just one of those right. things you have to do. And when you get beyond that, you, the next phase of life, things start to change as the kids get older and different priorities. As I, I'm sitting here thinking uh, out loud in reflection, it was difficult 
I don't regret it. Surely I would do a lot of things differently. Sure. But I was pleased with how it went. I think the key there, like you said, Michael, is two things. You Intention-based. It was intentional. The second part, though, was regret. And like you said, I, I often say I, I really only regret a couple of things in my life that, that I haven't. And it's really about what I haven't done. Exactly. We could always say we could have done better. What you haven't done is really when you sit back and reflect, if you're leading that intentional life. What you were doing was a goal. It was a dream you were achieving. And, and that's a very worthy and admirable thing to do. I just think that, that some people get caught up in the title part of it. That's, that's the, the struggle that I think a lot of people have is, is the status of it versus the intentionality of, like you said, of running an organization, of leading people. That's one of the best things you can do. And, and the hardest and most growth oriented things, even as a leader to do, but doing it for those reasons is completely different than doing it for the status of being that person. Like you said, being the president of a company organization, whatever. Brian, you summed it up beautifully. And I, I, I guess I have to give credit to my parents. That's how I was raised. Yes. The title is important because it, it was a reflection of the opportunity to lead and when you accept a leadership role, and uh, there are significant responsibilities that come with that, which inherently are going to conflict with time commitments elsewhere. But that that's what you choose to do. That's okay. And, and you know, I think you've got to have a well-rounded – I was very fortunate. Uh, we went to church, and so that gave me some grounding, had very good friends that were grand, you know, grounded you so that it wasn't, oh, you've got this fancy title. It was just, you, you know, you're Michael. And I, so I think surrounding yourself with good people is really important, people that are grounded, because otherwise it, it can go to your head. You know, having even I was running a little company, uh, there's there's just a, a sense of admiration. And wow, you've got the cool title. It, it can get out of control if you're not careful. And, and not that I didn't. Well, I'm sure I didn't manage it correctly the, the entire time. I don't want to give anybody that idea. But you, know, you try to. As you're saying, they're talking, you know, I've I've got two younger kids and I have a small company I run and they're like, well, so, well, dad, how much time do you get off? Or I have sort of that luxury. <laughs> oh, that's right. You're the boss, the yeah. board boss. Exactly. <laughs> I'm with you. So, yeah. <laughs> I never like that. But, yeah. It's just funny with kids. You've done some Ironmans through all this stuff, folks. I will preface this now. I've done some mini triathlons and stuff. They call them sprints. They're good exercise for a few hours. Michael has done the full Ironman. So he's going to walk us through the commitment that it takes. And as I understand, you weren't coming from being a college athlete and groomed for this type of stuff. You set out to do as a challenge, personal challenge. But yeah. <laughs> and, and, you know, this is one of those and going to what you said earlier, this is one of those I didn't want to regret by not doing something. And I recognize that. So I was turning 50. So this was about four years ago, actually four years ago, right about now. I wrote down this list and I, and I said, you know what, I've done a marathon. I've done a couple of marathons and that was fine and easy You know, for me. I mean, it, it took some training, but I, for some reason, in the back of my head, I'd always had Ironman just floating around and mainly because I thought there is no way in heck I could ever do one because I didn't own a bike and I can't, I couldn't swim. I mean, I, I could, I could, 
you know, tread water. And for whatever reason, the, the light went on. So I, I called a buddy of mine, a coach. So counting on your friends again. And I said, Tom, do, this is what I'm thinking about doing. Do you think I can do it? And do you think you could get me across the finish line? And he immediately said, absolutely. Absolutely. No, no question about it. Didn't even you know, question my fitness. And I was running a little bit, but nothing major. So I, I came away from that meeting with a lot of confidence that, okay, I can do this. I've just got to commit the time and the energy. And it ended up being more of a commitment, I guess, than I had thought because it became, you know, it's 20 hours a week of training and it's intentional and it's a lot of study and a lot of diet and all these things, a lot of swimming. You know, I literally, when I, when I started, I literally could not swim across the pool um, one lap without dying, <laughs> sucking wind. And uh, so I had to, literally my first swim lesson was it may have been in my pool in the backyard just kicking off the side kicking off the side so that's where we started and it was that basic but to put together this this plan um then i had to go buy a bike you know and i had to learn in the shoes and the you know all the different equipment and develop a process throughout meaning where I knew what day I was going to do what, and did I have my shoes lined up? I mean, these silly things that you, you don't think about, but they all take time and, and mental energy. And then you're trying to figure it out on the fly. And so it, it took me a good month or two of training to figure out a system that then would take me ultimately across the, the finish line, you know, 18 months later. Give me the distances for a full Ironman because I'll yep. screw it up. I know it's a shit ton. Yep. So we swam, uh, you swim 2.4 miles. And then you bike 112 or cycle 112. And then you run a marathon, 26.2. Just digest those numbers for a moment. This is why I like this podcast, because you'll get to some of the other folks that will interview full-time athletes in the, in the training and the commitment, which is all fantastic. But Michael's a guy with a family, a job. He's got a life like you and I do. And he still was intentional about reaching goals, about stretching and getting, I would, if I'm putting words in your mouth, let me know, getting outside your comfort zone. Oh. And, and I, I think one of those things we talked about was the swimming portion. And <laughs> tell us a little bit about being outside your comfort zone there. Well, you know, so I said I couldn't, I couldn't swim very well at all, literally. And, and I still sink to this day. I'll still go swim, but I, I'm, a, I'm not a strong swimmer. And, and one of the things I had told myself is before the Ironman, I want to do five smaller, you know, sprints to get comfortable in the water and develop my, my transition rhythm between the different events. And the first two or three of those, the swim got canceled because of one was jellyfish and one was uh, algae out here. I'm like, oh my gosh, I can't, I'm not getting any open water swim practice. So I <laughs> went down to Miami to do a half Ironman. So this would have been the first time in the water with other people at a great distance. And I literally started panicking the day before the race. You went down for, I went down and for a practice swim and that was okay. But the morning of the race, we're lined up, you know, and all the energy and everybody's excited and everybody's in their gear. And, and all of a sudden I started going, Oh my gosh, I can't do this. I, I can't, I, there's no way I started panicking and thank God a friend once again uh, was there and he just, you know, we, did the old look me in the eyes and, and the affirmation, like, Michael, you can do this. Remember what we trained. Remember what you're training. You know, just all those deep breaths. Start off behind everybody. Do not worry about giving you the, the support that you need. 
and and then all of a sudden, you know, a switch one went on and said, Coral, you got to man up, dude. You you just got to do it. Your family's here watching. <laughs> Your kids are here. You know, and you've got you've all this training. If you can't do this, you're sure as heck not going to be able to do a, a full Ironman. Went ahead and, you know, all's well that ended well. It was it was a very slow swim, but I finished. And I, you know, I was so ecstatic when I got out of the water that I didn't drown and actually finished and seemed like I had a good time <laughs> doing it, you know. Through the swimming, you obviously had some fear, as we would term yeah. it. What steps did you take, and you had some coaching doing it, and what did he, your your buddy coach you on to overcome that fear in the swimming portion? Well, you know, it's interesting, Brian. It, it took me a long time to figure out why I had a fear. That I was swimming mm. at one point. I had a flashback to when I was a kid. I don't know how old, may, maybe eight. I was on my dad's back in a pool at a, um, you know, at a club. And my little brother jumped on, jumped on me, squoze my neck. So I'm on top of my dad. He's on top of me and he's pulling my head underwater and I couldn't, I couldn't breathe. And I remember squeezing my dad's neck so that he got so mad he threw me off and that separated us. But I was, I remember panicking. And um, so I think that helped recognizing what the original cause was or my perceived original cause. And then my coach just, you start, it's baby steps right? It's like anything else, any fear. It's baby steps. You start in the pool. Then you go out in open water with, with one person, two persons, you know, just a, a couple people so that you can, they can coach you through and you just get out, go out there and just try to, and you get comfortable. And so it's just a, a, a little bit at a time, but it was, for me, it was having that goal. I knew if I did not do those baby steps, I could not finish the Ironman. And so I had to, by ha I was motivated by that goal. I was clearly focused on it and it gave me the, I don't know, the guts to, to go jump in the Gulf of Mexico and swim with a, a friend when there's no way I would have been able to do that a few months prior. I think those two key points, ha always having a goal, something to the bullseye, if you will, but then in baby steps. And so many of us don't face our fears because we want to get from where we're standing to the bullseye without knowing that we have, like you said, it's baby steps. It's not like you jumped into the Gulf of Mexico and started swimming for two miles. It was diving off the back end of your pool and then working through that process and knowing that it takes time and so much bullshit that's out there is like, here's the five things to overcome. No, no. you, you, <laughs> you got to invest the time and the effort and the energy. And it certainly helps with having that bullseye, but recognizing the baby steps. But then you look back and all of a sudden your frame of reference in terms of that fear has become so much broader. That's an important takeaway from what you went through invest in the process to get to there but you've got to be willing i'm sure we could spend you know the next portion of the podcast just talking about setbacks through oh. those fears yeah oh absolutely it's, it's not linear <laughs> yeah <laughs> you know, the fear is not linear and it took probably about six months where i was comfortable enough to even swim in open water a little bit and then you would re regress the whole iron man thing is Really, really, man. That's it's awesome. And like I said, doing it in what I say are normal lives. Most of us lead normal lives. We have commitments outside of being a full-time athlete. You're, you're right. So I saw other uh, 
ladies and gentlemen who, you know, I watch friends that are big marathoners and the amount of time they put in and you're up, they're up at four in the morning and they're running and then you go work a full day. And so, you, you know, you, you just do it and there are sacrifices along the way. You can't do certain things, but I respect them a lot for it. It just becomes what your priorities are. And priorities are about trade-offs. You're going to lose out in something. Part of what I want to try to shed light on and, and stories like yours is understanding that the trade-off looking back after you hit the bullseye, after you did the Ironman, after you spent 18 months working towards that goal, I don't think you're ever going to look back and say, gosh, I wouldn't, I wish I didn't spend the time doing that. Right. One of those most rewarding things. And yeah, you gave up some family time, certainly, but kind of some BS time, I'm sure too. Hey, I can't watch the latest Netflix series or I can't sit around and loaf. You would look back and say, gosh, <laughs> if I'd done that for 18 months, that didn't get me anywhere. But no, I in 18 months, you did a freaking Iron Man. Well, you're, you're right. There are trade-offs. That's an important point. And I do think we have, several of us have a lot more time to give ourselves credit for by just getting rid of the the fluff stuff. And by having a, you know an objective like this, it forced me to say, okay, do I want to sit here and go out drinking with friends, go out to dinner with people, or you know what, I got to get up really early and train. And that, because that was my priority, it was easy then to make those decisions. But I had to get to that point of that being my priority. Right, right. And like you said, we have, we don't realize how much fluff we all like to say we have busy lives and yeah. we're overbooked. But the reality is there's a lot of fluff in there. A lot sure. of fluff in there. Sure. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Indeed. So fast forward a little bit. Um, you're always learning stuff. Uh, tell us about your latest endeavor. <laughs> well, so, so I, that was my, you know, a bucket list and I crossed that off. Then on my bucket list around the same time was learn how to play the guitar. So I've had a fascination and dream ever since being in high school. I want to be in a band someday and play loud rock and roll music, which is uh, somewhat inconsistent with my personality, but that's what I like. My, my challenge is I've got zero musical talent zero ear for music nobody in my family does my wife but that doesn't count because we're not blood related and so for me it's it was you, you always fantasize wouldn't that be great and i thought well you know what dude you're you're 53 now you're 52 when i started it's if you're gonna do it you, you gotta learn it and let's start so i'm trying to learn how to play the electric guitar and um it's very challenging because it's not natural. It's painstaking because I watch people pick up the guitar and they just get it and I don't get it. And as you're older, it's a little bit harder to learn things. And, and then the muscles, the fingers don't move like you, like you want them to. So I try to go back to what I was doing with the, with the Ironman. It's just methodical, a little bit every day, every day, every day, recognizing, now this won't be 18 months, this may be five, five years, <laughs> but hopefully something good will come out of it. How long, how long have you been in it so far? Well, I, you know, I guess technically a year and a half, but there've been several times in there, there've been a two, three month reprieve due to the, the frustration factor and just getting busy and didn't, didn't make it the priority like it needs to be. So when COVID hit, I decided, you know what, I've, I've really got to make this a priority. I got to get focused. This should be something, if I'm going to do it, do it now, go all in. I'm at that point now where I'm, I'm almost all in. So, you know, you don't want to commit all right. fully yet, right? <laughs> right. Uh, I'm, I'm almost Edge there. a little bit, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> so, 
So uh, I'll tell you a funny story. So last night I was talking to my uh, guitar instructor and he was, I was saying, you know, I think I need to start playing more. I know I'm learning lessons, but playing, playing with you. And he goes, well, you can do this band thing that we're doing here at the studio where, I, where I'm taking lessons. I go, oh, that'd be, that'd be kind of funny. He goes, and you know what? We always play once, I don't know, a month out at this place and you could play with me. You and I could learn a song. And I looked at him like, there is no freaking way. I'm getting in front of a group of people and playing music or trying to play music. There's no way. And, uh, uh, you know, he, he looked at me and I thought, uh, okay, there, there's some head trash. There's another fear factor. I got to maybe get over that, but I'm not ready to get over that yet. It's like me doing this podcast. I can hide behind the voice and it's tape recorded. And, and when the podcast launches, it's not live, but going live Oof. in front of people with the, with, something that you're not used to doing yeah that's um i mean most people even if they're just speaking forget about adding an instrument to it right yeah, yeah. So we'll but, see how that goes yeah. knowing that, you you'll get the there <laughs> that's knowing my latest yeah crazy thing i'm gonna have you back on after that first uh, okay. <laughs> okay you know yeah. show all right <laughs> and then it'll be like what are you afraid of i'm afraid of going back up there damn it you know? <laughs> yeah, that's right <laughs> I'd liken you to, hopefully people know the term, is a renaissance man. That's part of a richer story. I'll say renaissance woman, too, now, to be politically correct. That's a theme throughout your life you've instilled in yourself is always experimenting, fulfilling those dreams. And it's funny, I just, part of this podcast, when it launches, and it'll be live at this point, but I'm also doing these short snippets of Monday Nuggets. You mentioned a point about a high school um, dream to play the guitar. It's been one of your things for a long time. And I just referenced that in one of the Monday Nuggets about how many folks have these high school childhood dreams. We often correlate that to something like, hey, I wanted to be an astronaut, but you can play the guitar. Similar to you, I've always loved the arts and stuff and have picked up photography I've been doing it for years. I'm still a hack, but it's something I'm enjoying. And I've recently started posting on Instagram for the sole purpose of putting myself out there kind of on stage and knowing like there is a side of me that I realized that how many likes did that photo get through that process? So it's just a matter of, again, putting yourself out there and doing the things that you've always wanted to do as, as part of your story and living that and saying, hey, my regrets, if there's going to be any are things that I didn't get to do because I ran out of time versus things that I did do and wish I'd never done, because that's usually not the story. You've led us to believe that it shouldn't be either. Tell us now through all these things, you have family, your kids. How do you think about that and what you want to instill when you look back on your story and with your family, what are the key points you want to relay to them and instill in them? I don't think it's any different than my dad with me. And it was always, you know, of course, back then it was, you can be whatever you want to be. I had very supportive parents. I was very blessed. And so now the difference is we didn't have any money and you had to scrape by things were different. What I worry about when we talk about this a lot, our kids have grown up in a much better financial situation and that can cause some other challenges and issues in terms of maybe not, maybe entitlement's too strong of a word, but just 
expectations and assumptions that uh, coupled with just the crazy times we live in. So really trying to instill values in the kids that you really can do anything as long as you put your mind to it. And, and it's not instant gratification. It takes time. You're not going to wake up and run a company when you graduate from college unless you start it. And so if you think you're going to walk into this VP, this president role, if you want to be a college football player, you, it just doesn't happen. You know, there's a sense of hard work and dedication over a long period of time. And I think kids is the antithesis of society today. It's about instant gratification. And I think it's it's unfortunate for a lot of these folks think that's how, you know, how things come about. And it just doesn't. You're not a millionaire overnight. It takes time and intentionality over 20, 30, 40, 50 years if you ever achieve that status. So to, to me, it's that. And, and the, the no regrets is taking on increased importance as I've gotten older, Brian, as I've gotten, you know, you hit 50 and then you're like, okay, man, I've only got probably 35 years to live, whatever sounds morbid, but you go, wait a second, I'm healthy enough now, man, if I don't do it now, and that was the Iron Man, if I don't do it now, it's going to be a lot harder 10 years from now, probably mm -hmm. unlikely. If, if I don't start playing the guitar now, it's, it's going to be harder down the road. You know, if, if, if I don't learn how to do something now. And so, uh, you know, I, I think it's, you sum it up perfectly. You regret the things you, you don't do and you don't attempt to do. And you read the books and people on there, whenever you interview nurses that have sat besides people dying, those were the regrets. You know, it's not the things yeah. they did. And yeah, maybe you didn't spend enough time with your kids. And, and I get that, but it's more, gosh, I didn't take that trip. I didn't take that family vacation. I didn't do this, that. Right. And so that's what I'm trying to mitigate because, you know, COVID really brought it to light, you, you know, in terms of, wow, it, it could end tomorrow. I mean, yeah. it, it really could. And not because of COVID, but it just gives, since it's on the news all the time, you, to me, I think a little bit more about it. Yeah. And I think it's given us all an opportunity. I'll say the word opportunity. We, we hear so much negative about it. And you and I have talked, you know this. I mean, my business is taking, taking it on the chin because we're in the hospitality industry. But people ask me like, oh, wow, how you doing? I said, it's given me an opportunity to kind of reflect, pair back, and think more intentionally, using one of your early words, uh, about some of these things. People want to wait. Yeah. I'll wait till I get enough money. I'll wait till I get the new position. I'll, I'll, when I get, my wife always hates me for this, I could get hit by the bus tomorrow. That's right. If we live for that, and you don't have to start big, start, start jumping from the edge of your pool. So in 18 months, you're doing an Ironman, but you did it now. And, and I think that's, that's really, really important to keep in mind because too many people wait and make excuses because the other piece, the other side to that coin, and this is almost more important is that that's a way to deflect responsibility for their story. If you don't jump in that pool, it's like, well, I'm not ready because I need to lose 10 pounds first. And then they just back up from excuse. They layer on the excuses of why not now. And then all of a sudden is, then they are on that deathbed saying, yeah, I wish I, wish I could have. Start small, do it now, stop making the excuses. You've embodied that, I think, and passing that on to your kids. The follow-up to that is, here's what it means to your family. But on your deathbed, what would you like your story to be 
when it is written? Yeah, it's an interesting question. I believe it'll, it'll differ by group if people were asked, you know, people I work with. You know, there's one persona there. Not that it's indifferent, but, you know, excuse me, not that it's different, but it, it is a little different versus your friends. But throughout all that, you, you hope people say, you know what, I could trust them. He was a person of integrity and I liked being around him. Yeah, he, he wasn't, you know, he wasn't the greatest triathlete. He wasn't the greatest guitarist, but we always had fun. We always had fun when we were together and he was committed to excellence in everything that he, he did. And, and I'll be honest, I, I've gone through a period of my life that I was not committed to excellence. Good was the enemy of great. I think you and I talked about this. I mean, and that happens. I see with a lot of people, things are good. Um, and that can really become the enemy of forcing you or giving you the opportunity to become great. And so I've just, I'm trying to evolve past that and committing myself to excellence in everything that I do and, and paring those things down so you can become excellent in them, going through the priorities as we, as we said before. So that's what I hope, you know, when it's, whether it's tomorrow, hopefully not, or it's 30 years from now, people go, you know what, he, he was a good guy. He, he made a difference. He was fun to be around and he always gave a hundred percent. What we should take from what Michael just said is, again, there was no grandiose, hey, I was the greatest, you know, alpinist ever or the greatest Ironman ever, but was there and committed to what he did, did things intentionally and didn't wait. The pursuing excellence, too, I think is a little bit of a, a misnomer because the more important word out of those two is the pursuit. Yeah, very good. I like that. Yeah, right. you're right, Brian. Yeah. We're never going to achieve perfection or excellence, but it's pursuit. And that goes back to the journey. I mean, that's really what it's about is investing in the journey, not waiting, not wanting to get to the point. You don't want to walk to the edge and just stop and say, okay, is this all there is? No, you want to keep going on the trail. Um, that's the, I think that's the pursuit. And I, and I feel like there's a lot of people that don't quite grasp that concept of everything you've been doing in your life is about the pursuit. It's not about that destination, if you will. Yes, you're exactly right. Yeah. I agree. So in this whole soul craft, live your story, own your story, hold your own pen. What's one key takeaway you want our listeners to take away from everything you've done and learned? Well, I think the number one thing is make sure you don't live with any regrets. And that means you've got to think about what those regrets would be and then start to tackle them. And, and like Brian said, it is the pursuit. It's the process. It's really not the, the, the end game. It's the pursuit of that that is where the satisfaction is. And, and try stuff that are, is difficult. Why not? The struggle is where the joy and satisfaction comes from. And, and gosh, you just want people to jump in and it doesn't have to be this grandiose thing small things. If you haven't run a 10 K don't waste time with the ifs, hands or buts, just go in and start running around your block. That's right. Michael jumped into the pool with the intent to get to an Ironman, but he didn't start running 26 miles and biking a hundred miles. He started jumping in the end of his pool and he was scared to death. So <laughs> remember that folks, but yeah, and it, and it wasn't easy. You know, it's it's fun to laugh about it now, but it was, there were many days, you know, it was just what I, you wanted to quit, say this isn't for me, because to jump in that pool was going to be, it's hard. 
Yeah. You're, you're horrible. You suck. You got to get through the suck by having a goal. You just, you do it. You want enjoy. I just enjoy the process. It's, I think you're, you're exactly right about that, Brian. And the only way to get satisfaction is through the suck. You yes. won't get, you won't get satisfaction if you haven't gone through the suck. That's true. That's true. It's about trying and not the success. And it's getting through the embarrassment and just saying, you know what? I want to try something. So when I do my guitar lessons, I, I go to, I go take them at music compound and I go there and I'm sitting there and there are very few adults that take music lessons. So I sit there with my guitar waiting for my instructor to come out. And I look to my right and in an identical chair is this kid, maybe eight <laughs> years old. He's looking at me. I'm looking at him and I just go, Hey, how's it going? <laughs> he goes, oh, good. <laughs> and I'm thinking, and, and I'm looking out, and there's all these seven, eight, nine, ten-year-old kids running around, and here's this old guy sitting here. I'm going, boy, I bet this would be a very funny sitcom right now. <laughs> just, just sitting there. It's embarrassing the first time I did it, but you like, I, for me to accomplish my goal, I got to go sit there with these kids who are looking at me like, who's this yeah, old guy? Right. <laughs> This guy's older than my dad. And I am older than most because the dads drop him off. I'm like, oh, geez. <laughs> so it's kind of funny. Sorry, um, I'm making friends with eight-year-olds. <laughs> hey, if, if that's the worst thing in the world, you know. That's right. <laughs> my buddies. Uh, yeah, yeah, buddy. Michael, thank you, man. This has been an awesome time. I, I hope everyone's taken away some key things. And if they haven't, well screw them then they just don't get it but uh we're gonna have you back on again too on the guitar stuff and maybe we'll have you do a few riffs thanks <laughs> i got to get through the suck <laughs> yeah, I love it. thanks again mike we'll talk to you soon hey brian appreciate it i hope you enjoyed our conversation with michael it was really great to be encouraged by michael's approach to learning and exploring new boundaries for himself both physically and mentally his investment in little steps of the process to reach bigger goals has made his life richer and his horizons stretch farther. I think we can all apply a dose of Michael's insight to our stories. Thanks for tuning in, and until next time, keep holding your pen.